This is Dr. Marnie Peterson. I am the Outreach Coordinator for the Antimicrobial Stewardship Project, which was launched last year by the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. A component of this project are podcasts with global experts in the field of antimicrobial stewardship and antibiotic resistance. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Buddy Creech from the Vanderbilt University School of Medicine about an NIH National Institutes of Health funded study he is currently leading to determine the optimal duration of antimicrobial therapy for children with pneumonia. Before we begin our discussion, I'd just like to provide our listeners with um, some brief information about Dr. Creech. He obtained his medical degree from the University of Tennessee and then completed a residency and pediatric infectious disease fellowship as well as a Master's of Public Health at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital and Vanderbilt University. Currently, Dr. Creech serves as the director of the Vanderbilt Vaccine Research Program. He's the principal investigator of, the, of their NIH-funded Vaccine Therapeutic Evaluation Unit and is co-principal investigator of the CDC-funded CISA project, which he can explain a little bit more about later. His research focuses primarily on the clinical and molecular epidemiology of bacteria, including Staph aureus infections, and on the immune response to vaccination and disease. He has served as PI for numerous vaccine studies within their vaccine research program, and he also, um, including some of these vaccines, were live attenuated influenza vaccines studied in children and a randomized placebo-controlled trial of vancomycin and trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole in the treatment of and soft tissue infections. He's had some, a few, a couple high-level acknowledgments for all his efforts. In 2007, he's the recipient of the IDSA Shea Young Investigator Award for his work with methicillin-resistant staph aureus, and in 2002, he received an award from the Pediatric Infectious Disease Society as, as their young investigator. So with that, Dr. Creech, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. So as I mentioned at the opening, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about this study that you um, you had funded by NIH that you're leading, this multi-sensor trial to evaluate shorter courses of antibiotics um, in, the, in the treatment of community-acquired pneumonia in children. As you know, antibiotic duration is a topic for discussion that affects those clinicians involved in antibiotic stewardship as well. Absolutely, and I think for many of us, we realize that we've done a pretty good job of, of tackling some of the big questions of the inpatient stewardship, but this study and some studies very much like it really focus on outpatient stewardship, which is a yet untapped area for us. Yeah, absolutely, and, and appropriate treatment within that setting for the diagnosis. Absolutely, so I'd like and I think that's the challenge, is being able to both diagnose and treat effectively, and that's where we're trying to, to lean into that just a little bit and provide some guidance for clinicians. So can you just back up a little bit? Um, when you were talking with colleagues and considering uh, developing and applying for this study, can you explain a little bit about your decision to explore this question? Absolutely. Yeah, this really started um, several years ago, and it's really two things happening simultaneously. The first is my colleagues here at Vanderbilt, as well as colleagues at uh, Northwestern at University of Tennessee Memphis and in Salt Lake City, launched a very large study through the CDC called the EPIC study, and this was the epidemiology of pneumonia in the community. And this really ambitious study was meant to understand the, the bacteriologic and virologic etiologies of community-acquired pneumonia from little babies to elderly adults. 
And through this study, there were some, some really important observations that were made. Uh, the first is that viruses really predominated the landscape in children, especially children younger than five or six years of age. And, and not only that, but it was often only viruses that were detected in these children. And so that really brought a, a major question to the forefront, which is if the, if the majority of pediatric community-acquired pneumonia is viral in nature, um, why then do we typically treat these kids with 10 days of, of oral antibiotics? So that was, the, that was the very first thing that happened. And I think the second thing that happened is that through the use of conjugate pneumococcal vaccine, we started to really see significant drops in invasive pneumococcal disease in children. By doing that, we also saw drops in invasive pneumococcal disease in adults as well, because it turns out there's no way to get a grandpa sick better than to have a sick grandchild at home. Uh, but as we saw those two things occurring simultaneously, uh, a few of us got together through the Antibiotic Resistance Leadership Group, which is a uh, large initiative begun by NIH to try to bring antibiotic resistance into a format like we've enjoyed for HIV research uh, in the past few decades. And the, and the thought was that we could uh, put together some innovative ideas around antibiotic stewardship and the right administration of antibiotics. And so between all of those events happening, a decrease in pneumococcal disease, uh, a recognition that viruses really predominate in younger children, and this potential funding mechanism through the Antibiotic Resistance Leadership Group, we were able with colleagues at uh, the Mayo Clinic, Charlie Huskins in particular, and at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, Theo Zaudis in particular, we were able to put together a proposal that asked the question, do you really need a full 10-day course of antibiotics for community-acquired pneumonia in children, or could you get by with a little bit less because so many of these are viral in nature? Yeah, so so let's talk about your overall study design and, and give us some insight into what your primary and secondary outcomes are for this study. Yeah, so we're we're doing this in a way that is both pragmatic as well as intentional when it comes to what our aims are. So the very first thing we want to ask is if uh, a child is administered amoxicillin or augmentin or septonir, these being the three most commonly used antibiotics for community-acquired pneumonia in kids less than six years of age, if they're prescribed one of those three antibiotics and they're already getting better by day three, day four, day five of treatment. Uh, the question is, can that child receive merely five days of antibiotics and then receive placebo the rest of the time uh, and do just as well as the child who continues on that antibiotic for a full 10-day course? Right now, the recommendations for the treatment of pneumonia are 10 days. And we've done a very good job of teaching parents to give antibiotics until the bottle runs out, basically. And yet, when one thinks about it, it's, it's really difficult for parents to do that because the child gets better on day two or three because maybe this was a viral uh, pneumonia in nature. And now, all of a sudden, they've got eight more days, seven more days of antibiotics to give for really no apparent benefit. And what's challenging about it is that over time, you get to the point where side effects might be more common than the actual benefits that you're reaping from antibiotic exposure. And so this is really uh, the brainchild of, um, of, of a couple of folks at both Philadelphia and Pittsburgh who have done short course outpatient therapy for a variety of pathogens. That's where the name of our study comes from. It's called SCALT-CAP, 
SCALP for short course outpatient, CAP for community acquired pneumonia. There are two other SCALP studies going on right now. One was for otitis media, which was just published by uh, Alejandro Hoberman and his colleagues at Pittsburgh in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, showing that, in fact, short course therapy for otitis media is, is not as good as a traditional course. And then the second is SCALP UTI, where we treat for a shorter period of time for uncomplicated urinary tract infections in children. So this is a natural extension of that. So what we do is providers that are in the community diagnose pneumonia in whatever mechanism they want to. Uh, that could be auscultation alone. It could be by x-ray. It could be by uh, auscultation and blood work that confirms a, uh, an infectious maybe etiology because of an increased white count or something along those lines. But the most important thing is that they write the phrase pneumonia. Uh, that's their diagnosis. And they're given one of those three antibiotics. How did they... that happen? Oh, go ahead. Can I just ask, Safi, are you trying to rule out that they don't have viral, that they actually have bacterial? For this study, we're not. It's a great question. We really went back and forth about that. But the utility of rapid diagnostics at the time of diagnosis, they're just not there yet for us. They're not there in pediatrics in terms of turnaround time, and they're not there from a practicality standpoint just yet. Um, I think that's the natural next step in this study. Um, or in this type of work is to figure out which ones have uh, more viral disease. Now, what we do is we do exclude those who have bronchiolitis or uh, lower respiratory tract disease that is more viral in nature, croup or bronchiolitis. If it's in that category, we certainly don't want to enroll those. But if they have findings of low bar pneumonia by auscultation and are prescribed antibiotics, then, then we uh, begin the process of, of reaching out to the parents. So they're diagnosed with pneumonia, they receive one of those three antibiotics, and then the clock starts ticking for us. And we typically, uh, we have five sites that are enrolling currently across the U.S. Uh, we typically reach out to them on day three or four of their illness, and we simply ask the parents how the child is doing. And if the child has already improved, coughing is less, fever has resolved, uh, they're becoming back to their baseline, uh, then we invite them to participate in the study. We, we obviously have very tight eligibility criteria. We're not trying to enroll those with chronic medical conditions or asthma or something that might make enrollment uh, risky to their health. And then we randomize them to either uh, continuing the drug that they were on as provided by our pharmacy or to a placebo for the next five days. And the question so was simply... randomized at day five, basically. That's right. We thought it was simply too hard to randomize them at the time of diagnosis because... Mm -hmm. If you're a busy mom or dad bringing your child to the doctor or you're a busy pediatrician, the last thing you want at that moment is to add an extra hour to the visit for randomization and, and all of that. So we let events happen. This is the pragmatic nature of it. And then we enroll them on day three, day four, day five. Well, and so, and then you're also, so your primary endpoint and your secondary yeah, so the primary endpoint is clinical response at two outcome visits. One is right after they finish their antibiotics, and the other is about three weeks after their original diagnosis. And this is to ensure that they haven't had a clinical failure. Rates of clinical failure for pneumonia in kids is really low, uh, but it's an important one. And then the second is uh, the frequency of adverse events. But, but here's where things get really interesting with this study from, from my standpoint, um, I mentioned that it was part of the Antibiotic Resistance Leadership Group. 
one of the um, faculty that's involved with the ARLG is uh, a man named Scott Evans, who's a very talented biostatistician at Harvard. And Scott and his colleagues have developed a couple of tools that, that make great intuitive sense, but the mathematics behind it are actually quite complicated. Uh, and those are called DOOR, D-O-O-R, which is a desirability of outcome ranking. And the second is RADAR, which is uh, a response that's adjusted for the duration of antibiotic risk. And, and so it, it's a way to do a couple of things. Uh, it's a way to potentially get away from only doing non-inferiority trials, which can sometimes be misleading and sometimes filled with biases. It also allows us to um, put patients into sort of a snapshot of how did that individual patient do during the course of a trial um, because of the following. You know, if you're doing a study and your outcome measure is, uh, let's say, hospital days, um, there are some biases that can be introduced there so that a patient who passes away has fewer hospital days than one who lives for quite a while. Uh, and unless you account for that in your analysis, that can introduce some significant biases. So what we basically do is at the beginning of the study, one of the most contentious teleconferences I've been a part of is developing a ranking scale. And we developed a ranking scale from one to nine that basically said, if you're a kid in this study and you have an excellent clinical response and you have absolutely no side effects from your uh, antibiotics, that's the best you can do. And if you had death, that's by definition the worst that you could do. Everything else is up for grabs. And so the second one was you clinically respond, but maybe you have a little bit of diarrhea or a rash or maybe some thrush from your antibiotics. And then maybe the next one down is you, you have a clinical response, but now you have really bad diarrhea. And then further down is you don't have a good clinical response. You, in fact, need more antibiotics than you were scheduled to get because you had a relapse of your pneumonia and so on. And so once we develop that ranking, we can take individual patients and assign them that rank. That's number one. And so then for number two is we can say, look, if, if there are two kids and they have the exact same rank at the end of the study, they both have um, clinical response and no side effects, we can ask the question, which one of them got fewer antibiotics? And if one of them got five days and one of them got 10 days, well, the one who got only five days is now going to get a higher ranking, a better ranking than the one who got 10 days. So it's very practical to say, look, if two people have the same outcome, whoever got fewer antibiotics, that person wins. Um, and at the end of the day, no matter what happens, you need to have a clinical response, and we're trying to minimize side effects. So the advantage is by using this novel approach, we've been able to have a superiority design of the short course with fewer patients than a non-inferiority design would allow. Yes, and you've got, I think you've got 200 children, 400 total, and you're, you're planning to enroll 200 children per arm, 200 in the five-day and, and 200 in the 10-day? In the that That's time? exactly right. And if we were to do a non-inferiority design, uh, we would be looking at five or 600 per arm for well over 1,000 subjects in the study. So from a cost-effectiveness standpoint, this approach is, is really powerful. What it really means is that the, the, the real sticking point of it is making certain that that outcome ranking list that we developed is, is correct and, mm -hmm. and that that's a tight
tight ranking scale because if we get that ranking scale right, everything else falls into place. And that right now is um, held within your group. It's not published anywhere for others to potentially build off of or use. That's right, but it's but there is a publication from 2015 in Clinical Infectious Diseases uh, in the September 1st issue that really talks about the general approach to it because every study is going to be just a little bit different, and it it sets out the assumptions that we are um, we are to make, which means when when you rank the outcomes of two patients with different clinical outcomes, the patient with a better clinical outcome is always going to receive a higher rank. Period. And then when you rank the outcomes of two patients with the same clinical outcome, the one who got shorter duration of antibiotic receives a higher rank. And then it's a matter of also saying on top of that, if you get better from your pneumonia and have a little bit of diarrhea from the antibiotic, that's better by definition than not having diarrhea and yet having a clinical failure when it comes to your pneumonia. So the general truths of this strategy are 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 out there and are published, and every study demands kind of a fresh look at what that looks like for an individual uh, protocol. Now, what we've done is that these are our primary and and lead secondary outcomes and and endpoint measures, this door and radar uh, approach. At the same time, we're going to be analyzing the data from an individual uh, component of that clinical response as well to be able to provide a more classic uh, description of, you know, in the 200 kids who received five days, 10% had diarrhea, 5% had rash, et cetera. So you kind of get both cool. uh, rather than just having to choose one or the other. Okay, yeah. So so where are you at with the uh, trial at this point? Have you started enrolling? We started enrolling about midway through this recent uh, respiratory season. So right now we've enrolled just under – uh, 25% of the cohort. So we're at about uh, 85 enrolled at this point. And the the thought is that it's going to require a couple of full respiratory seasons. As, as you're well aware, Marty, I mean, pneumonia is an incredibly seasonal disease. And so we start to see it pick up around October. And by May, uh, it really doesn't exist. So we've got a few cases that we'll suspect this summer um, unfortunately, those usually happen in kids with comorbidities that would really exclude them from the study. So right now what we're doing is we're gearing up for uh, hopefully a, a busy fall, hopefully for the study, not for the kids in the study, that is. So estimated, you've estimated an endpoint sometime, or the data may be available for the clinicians and the, and the antimicrobial stewards maybe sometime early 2019, you're thinking? That would be about right. So that would be two full respiratory seasons. So first right. or second quarter of 2019 would be ideal. Um, you know, we, we don't plan on, on presenting any interim data uh, at this point because the, the risk of the study is not such that we need to build in uh, too many interim analyses. Uh, but I think, that's a, I think that's a fair estimate of when we'll be done. Perfect. So just a final kind of closing question is, depending on the outcomes of this trial and things that you're learning along the way, how this might change clinical practice or some of the guidelines? Well, here's what I'm hoping. I, I think we're coming upon a day where we're going to do what our colleagues in the 1940s and the 1950s did, which is treating patients until they're better and then for just a little bit longer and then stopping uh, because we know what the side effect profile of broad-spectrum antimicrobial use is. 
It's very focused uh, side effects like diarrhea, rash, things like that. But it's also microbial disruption in the gut and in the skin and in the nasopharynx. So I think as we understand the impact on the microbiome more, we'll be able to guide clinicians even more. Uh, that's one of the important sub-studies of this, of this project is working with Melinda Pettigrew up at Yale to be able to study the stool and the oropharyngeal microbiome in children that are in the short course versus standard course arms to ask the question, are we seeing disruptions in the microbiome to a greater extent in those who receive 10 days versus 5 days? So I think what we're going to see at the clinician level is a bit more personalized antibiotic courses that may require a bit more engagement with a family rather than saying, here's a 10-day course, call me if you need me. What we may end up doing is saying, here's a five-day course, let me see you again at five days and make a decision about whether or not you need more antimicrobials or not. If we can do it for pneumonia, I bet we can do it for other conditions as right. well. Oh, this is fascinating. Well, buddy, I want to thank you so much for your time to discuss your very interesting study and your efforts that you're putting forth and leading these new approaches to optimize antibiotic dosing for the future, especially in, in the pediatric population. Well, thanks, Marnie. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Good luck. Thanks so much.